Today's reading is from Psalm 126. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. Then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negeb. Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. morning. My name is Andy. Uh, I'm one of the pastors here. Um, so we are uh, continuing with our uh, seventh series from the Psalms of Ascent uh, called Journeys Old and New. So this week uh, we're doing that and next week we'll have a little break on um, a little short Advent series. And so Psalm 26, you know, what is Psalm 26 all about? I entitled my sermon, Marvel and Trust, and, um, and there's a reason to it. You know, I spent three years after college, some of you know this story, I spent three years after college living on a ship called Lagos 2, and uh, oops, I hope it came up. This is what the ship is supposed to look like. <laughs> okay, yeah. Um, you know, I want to do something different, and so... Um, you know, I thought maybe this is it, you know, to, to be able to travel the world uh, to serve God with a bunch of Christians that I don't know, uh, to learn about different cultures. And, um, um, yeah, you know, and, and just to be able to experience the world. And then, you know, one of the things about the ship is that they, they sell books, you know. So if you can go to the next slide um, for me. They sell books and, and they go around different places distributing literatures. And so every time when I tell people um, that, you know, I spent three years on a ship, you know, and uh, it was amazing, um, you know, I uh, lived on a boat for three years, uh, went around the world, and they thought, wow, you know, it must be great to live on a cruise ship. Um, well, that is not the case. Um, if you go to this slide here, it's a little of an optical illusion there. You know, the ship that I'm in is actually the one in front of you, okay? So... Uh, it's at least three, three times smaller than a cruise ship, you know, and this is not even a big cruise ship, okay? So, yeah, you know, obviously the um, expectation was different, you know. A lot of people thought it was all fun and games and, and happiness and joy, but that's not the case for me. Um, you know, as I think about it, you know, a lot of things went wrong, um, at least, you know, right, you know, in the first Two days after I was on board, if you can go to the next slide. Um, two days after I was on board, you know, something happened. This, okay, I uh, sprayed my leg so badly that I uh, was in a cast for three months on board. And one thing, if you don't know, um, having a cast and being seasick is not a great experience, okay? There are many times that uh, I had to just forego my crutches and just, you know, hop all the way to the bathroom and, and throw up and... And so it was rough, and then um, worse still, you know, worse is still to come, you know, I was sent into the engine room, uh, next slide, um, to work there for a year, um, 
Yeah, so being an engine was no fun. You know, you're all the way down there. Um, you don't meet people, you know. We're often told that, oh, the engine room is the heart of the ministry. Uh, you know, you need the engines to, to run so that people can do ministry. It's like, great, love that. Uh, but, uh, you know, it didn't do anything for me. You know, it didn't help me. I heard that like a thousand times, but it didn't help me at all. So it was rough, and this is me, you know, climbing to one of the cylinders. Like, hey, you're small, you know, why don't you climb into one of these and clean it? <laughs> and so, perfect. Um, yeah, it was, it was a great moment of, of uh, I was thinking to myself, it's like, yeah, you know, I'm serving God. I'm serving God. Um, it's great, you know. And then also doing shift jobs, you know, watching the engine, you know, while people go to sleep, you w- stay up to watch the engine. And then when people wake up, guess what? You go to bed. And so it's one of the worst experiences that I encounter. Um, and then, of course, um, you know, another difficulty that, that I experienced being on board is that after being on a ship for six months, you know, we're in Mexico. We're excited, you know, to go to a Billy Graham's crusade. We're sailing to San Diego to, to, uh, for a Billy Graham's crusade, and we're going to be there for a month. And guess what happens? Um, I was still a Malaysian uh, citizen at that time. I hold a passport uh, from a Muslim country, and this was at the height of 9-11. Um, and um, so I was denied an entry uh, to the country, and I had to stay in Mexico for a month with a family that I don't know, a family that could barely speak English. And I obviously had no clue on what to say in Spanish, too. So uh, there was a lot of sign languages, a lot of pointing, you know, a lot of uh, aimless walking around the city every day trying to figure out what to do. And so it was hard, and, and you know, um, looking back uh, at my time on the ship, you know, I, I thought that, man, there's just a lot of craziness that were happening, but, but you know, it's also perhaps one of the most uh, encouraging and, and um, sanctifying uh, and also one of the most crucial seasons in my life. You know, it taught me a lot. I grew tremendously as a believer in how to pray, how to listen to God, how to trust God amidst of all the uh, circumstances that I experienced. And I grew tremendously. I experienced miracles, tremendous work of God in my life too. And so, you know, it was full of encouragement despite of all the troubles. And so, even in my present circumstances today, you know, um, I often look back, you know, I often look back to these times for encouragement, for strength, you know, for assurance. And so, as we look at our passage this morning from Psalm 126, you know, it shares a very similar sentiment. You know, James uh, Lindbergh, you know, said Psalm 126 comes from a people who are living between the times, between a good time remembered and another good time hoped for. You know, this psalm looks back to when the exiled Israelites were set free from the Babylonian captivity and allowed to return to Jerusalem. You know, they suffered greatly, and suddenly they found themselves free to return home. And just like that, God has delivered them. And so as they consider their present circumstances, they can now find assurance and hope that God will do it again for them, that God will do it again. And so this is a psalm that speaks to them and to us in our present crisis and struggles. You know, it's a powerful reminder of how God promises to bring us from tears to joy. 
So as we look at this psalm, there are, there are two points. First, marvel at his past greatness. Next slide. You know, marvel at his past greatness. You know, Israel was exiled from their homeland for 70 years, 70 years before they were allowed to return. And many times they wondered, you know, when, when they were in Babylon, has God forgotten us, you know? God, do you still remember us? Do you still remember our present circumstances? Do you still remember our suffering? You know, they've asked that a lot of times. And then in a swift moment, God did the unexpected. He delivered them. You know, what an amazing turnaround for the Jews. You know, they, they were so overwhelmed by the grace of God that it almost felt like a dream. Now, is this real? Am I really going home? You know, it was a surreal experience for them as they recount the history of it. Now, what about us? You know, I, I know that sometimes when we read a passage like this, it's hard for us to really imagine, to feel what the Israelites felt, right? But I think there's one example that we can all relate to, and that is our own conversion experience. You know, all of us here who know Christ, who know, who trust in God, all have a story, a conversion story in our lives. You know, some may not have that kind of a dramatic conversion experience, but you know others that do. And for those who have, you know, you know what it's like, how amazing that experience is to just imagine that, you know, one day you are a sinner, you know, with no hope. You know, you are on the path of destruction. And then, next, you are saved. God delivered you. And it's almost unbelievable to know how God changed you so sudden and unexpectedly. And we see this in the Bible, too. You know, think of the conversion of Paul. You know, how unlikely is that? How unreal is that? You know, when Saul was first converted and became Paul, guess what? Many of the believers didn't believe it, you know. They thought, could this be true? They didn't believe it. You know, the Bible said that they were afraid of him when they saw him because they, they, they didn't think it was real. How could this persecutor, you know, all of a sudden became a believer and now he's coming to us, you know, coming to be with us, to live with us, to serve with us. You know, they didn't think it was real, but it was. And because this is how God works and this is how grace works all the time. And we may feel like it's a dream, but yet, you know, it is real. It is unimaginable. And that is the beauty of it. And not only that, you know, what flows from this experience are great joy, laughter, gladness. You know, one cannot experience or understand the kind of unexplainable, deep-seated joy that penetrates the heart, you know, unless they have endured great despair great sorrows, great hopelessness, like the Jews. You know, listen to Psalm 137, you know, verse 1 to 4. Um, it's on the screen. You know, as I read to you, listen to their despair. It says, By the waters of Babylon, there we sat down and wept when we remember Zion. On the willows there we hung up our lyres. For there are captors require us, require of us songs, and a tormentor's mirth, saying, "Sing as one of the songs of Zion, 
How shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? They were filled with hopelessness. Tears of hopelessness were streaming down from their face. They didn't know if they would ever laugh again, let alone sing. You know, they didn't know if they would ever experience joy again. But now that the Lord has lifted them, lifted their spirits and delivered them, He turned their sorrows to joy, their tears to laughter, and replaces their burden with gladness. You know, much like our own conversion, each of us have a unique story of how, that attests to how gracious and merciful God is to sinners like us. You know, we live in despair of our sins because we are troubled by the guilt that condemns us and even our good works are not enough to save us. And so we're hopeless in everywhere, condemned in everywhere. But then the most remarkable thing happened to us. You know, God delivered us out of our bondage to sin. And the burden of our guilt and the curse of the sin has been lifted. Now, as I was preparing this sermon, I thought of the third stanza of Joy to the World. I'm glad that, that, you know, Joe brought it up. You know, Joy to the World in his third stanza says, you know, no more... Let sins and sorrow grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow as far as the curse is found. You know, God brought blessings to us. He restores our fortune and turns our sorrows to laughter and joy. That is what he has done. But as you look at this passage, you know, there's more to this. You know, I love it how at the end of verse 2, the deliverance of, of God, you know, results also in the praise and glory, you know, the praises of the Gentile nations. You know, the beauty of God's deliverance is for us, but also for others to see. You know, God's mighty and powerful work was so great that the nations around them saw it and testified to the greatness of God. Don't you love that? You know, do you realize that your sufferings and trials serve a greater purpose? You know, the lessons that you learn from these experiences are meant not just for you, but for others around you, others who don't know you, to learn. And when the Lord brings deliverance by turning your tears to joy, others around you too will rejoice and see the greatness of God. So don't ever keep your stories to yourself. Tell it. Let others experience and see the greatness of God. You know, it's crucial to think about this, to be reminded of what the Lord has done for us. This helps us in so many ways, especially when we experience hardships and sufferings. You know, when we think about all the joys that we experience from, from our conversion, all the experience that we enjoy and of experience that we you know, we, we receive from the Lord, you know, when, when He answers our prayers. But yet these joys and laughter that we experience, you know, they are not forever. You know, we are bound to hit a roadblock. We're bound to experience sufferings and trials on this life because of the brokenness of this world. And so we're bound to experience all these things and I love what James Boyce in his commentary said. You know, he says, exceptional joy 
usually doesn't last a long time. It can't. Because life is always a combination of ecstasy and agony. Good times and bad times, joy and suffering. You know, we all will go through times, tough times, struggle times, you know, sufferings in life. And so many of you, you know, as, as I think about this, as I talk to you guys, you know, so many of you are already experiencing it even right now. You know, some of you experience death in the family, troubles in marriage. You know, some of you went through a divorce or you have parents who were divorced. You know, some live through daily chronic pain and illnesses. Some of you struggle with parenting or face challenges of having special needs uh, child, crippled by fear and anxiety, loss of income, and the list goes on. Now, what then? What then shall we do? What then shall we do? Where do we go from here? Where, who do we turn to when we experience these circumstances? Now, I tell you what. We could doubt God, we could doubt His goodness or disbelieve in Him. You know, we could curse Him and experience these struggles on our own. Or, or we could turn to God. We could trust in Him and let Him walk with us through these hardships. You know, when, you know, when we do turn to him, he does provide the greatest resources that we need for sufferings. And we see here one way, you know, he does this is to remind you of your past. Take a journey back to the past and think of the great things that the Lord has done for you. That's what the psalmist said. You know, these are powerful memories. But don't just think. Don't just, you know, be reminded of it. Marvel. Marvel at the goodness of God. Marvel at the great things that he has done. Marvel at the victory that he gave you over your addictions. Marvel at the healing and the restoration of your bodies in the past. Marvel at the endurance he equips you with when you suffer. Marvel at the peace and assurance he provided when things aren't making sense. Marvel, too. If you can't marvel of anything else, marvel at this. Marvel at the grace of God to the providence of Jesus Christ for you. Marvel at what the Lord, Jesus Christ, has done for you, how he suffered for you, how he paid the price of your sins and freedom. You know, history can be a painful memory as it often reminds us of the bad things that happen. But as a believer, history is full of amazement of all the great things that God has done for you. you now, history is powerful for you. Take a journey back. Take heart and marvel at what the Lord has done for you. And so as the psalmist encourages us to marvel, then he also tells us to trust him. Trust him to do it again. So next point, trust him to do it again. You now, as you learn to marvel at the goodness of God, at the great things he has done in your life, this should give you comfort and hope that God will do it again for you in your very problems that you experience right now. He has done it in the past, and we can trust him to do it again. Lord, do it again for us. 
You know, Eugene Peterson in his book, A Long Obedience, said, if the joy-producing acts of God are characteristics of our past as God's people, they will also be characteristics of our future as His people. You know, there's no reason to suppose that God will arbitrarily change His way of working with us. What we have known of Him, we will know of Him. Just as joy builds on the past, it borrows from the future. And this is the hope of the Jews as they live in Jerusalem presently. Now you see in the first three verses are a flashback to the past. But these next three verses describe the presence, the present of their circumstances. You know, people were allowed to leave Babylon. They were allowed to return home. And they went home with great joy. But soon after, their joy dissipated. Why? You know, they're filled with challenges and despair again because they needed to rebuild the city. They needed to rebuild the temple and the wall. And then they faced tremendous oppositions from the enemies around them. Work started, work stopped, work started, work stopped. And so they're filled with sorrows again. And even when the temple was finally restored, they were so disappointed at how it looked, how inferior it was compared to the previous temple that they knew of. You know, life was hard for them. It was was filled with disappointments and despair for the people, but the psalmist, you know, in 126, was hopeful for the future. How so? How was he hopeful? Well, look with me. You know, in in verses 4 to 6, you know, as, as a psalmist gives us two powerful imagery. You know, verse 4 said, Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. This is the first of the imagery that describes the psalmist's cry of desperation to God. You know, he prayed to his God, his help of the ages past. He cried out to him in sorrow and despair. And, and what the psalmist reminded us is that Negev is a desert in the southern part of Judah. You know, the, this land is dry and arid. But in rare times, when it rains, when, in rare times when it rains, it could send waters gushing from the hills and fill the barren land. You know, in times like that, you know, the land receives the abundance of water and it's filled with it. And so the essence of this imagery speaks of the southern outpouring of God's blessing, of God's goodness. You know, one moment it is dry, and the next it could be well watered. Kind of like the deliverance of of what the Israelites experienced. You know, one moment they're in Babylon, the next they've been set free. They're allowed to return home. You know, it also reminds us that, you know, in one moment we were heading this path of destruction, and the next we are not condemned. We are safe. That God delivered us. You see, life is full of hardships and struggles that often produces spiritual dryness and barrenness. You know, a lot of times we feel like we're in a give. We feel like we're in a wasteland. You know, no joy or growth or vitality. You know, we feel trapped. You know, we can't get out. We can't do anything to change it. 
But God can. You know, God and His grace can do the unexpected. And so do you feel spiritually parched like Negev? Do you feel the weight of your struggle that is beating you down, that is sucking you dry each day? Pray to God like the psalmist did. Pray to Him to restore you. Pray to Him that His Spirit will fill your dryness with abundant and refreshing water. Pray to Him to do the unexpected and impossible again. He has done it in the past. He will do it again. Pray to Him that He will do it again. Do it again, Lord. That is our cry. Do it again. And then the psalmist switched to a second imagery in verses 5 to 6. The image of sowing and reaping. You know, those of you who farm or have experience in farming know how difficult this work is. So much can go wrong. And so much is dependent on things that are beyond your control. And then there's also the added difficulty of waiting. You know, waiting for the crops to grow. Waiting for harvest time. You know, what we see here is another example of God's work through suffering. You know, we all long for the southern deliverance, like the streams in the desert. We all long for that. And we do experience that. And when we do, we rejoice when it comes. But most times, you know, God works through a much slower process than we desire. You know, a process of sowing and waiting. You know, we cry our eyes to God in our prayers and we wait and we pray and we wait and we pray and we wait and we pray and we wait. But here's the thing. When we do so, we don't do so in futility because God is still at work and we can be certain of it. Now, how do I know that God is at work as we wait? Look with me in this next two verses. You know, those who sow in tears. Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. You know, he who goes out weeping, bearing the seed of sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. This is God's promise for you. You know, I was deeply encouraged in our session retreat that happened two days ago um, from Friday to Saturday. So we came back yesterday. You know, one of the most amazing part of the retreat, uh, as the 11 of us gathered together, wasn't so much of the planning that we did. And it was a time when, when 11 men gathered together, you know, to share their stories. The stories of how God saved them, the conversion stories, but also stories of the pain and struggles and suffering of the past and present. Stories of what they went through and stories of what, uh, what they are still going through. And it was moving and powerful to see the Spirit of God working in our hearts, you know, as we share and as we weep together at the brokenness that each of us experience. You know, I, I will never forget the experience of seeing 11 men weep together. But not only that, we, pr- when we prayed for each other and were reminded we reminded each other of our promises of God and His Word. You know, friends, God is not unmovable or apathetic to your struggles and hardships. He knows it. He sees it. 
He sees your tears and he's going to do something about it. You know, the Bible said that Jesus knows your struggles. He can identify with it because why? He went through the greatest struggle and hardship for you. And so he is a man of sorrows. And he weeps even for the sufferings of his people. But, but, he also has the power to wipe away our tears. You know, look with me again this passage. You know, when you sow in tears, when you sow in tears presently at the circumstances that you're experiencing, at all the sufferings that you're experiencing right now, when you sow in tears, you do not reap tears. Instead, you reap shouts of joy. You do not receive what you sowed. You receive joy. And this is the promise of what the end will look like. You know, the ending of a story does not end in tears or sorrow, but in joy. You know, listen to what Revelation 21, 1 to 4 said. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth has passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for, for a husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling of, of place of God is with men. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. You know, Revelation 21 is not just a, a hopeful sentiment. You know, it's like, oh, maybe it will happen. No, it's a promise. It's a guarantee from God, a statement of faith that it will happen. You know, we may not fully know all the reasons of our suffering on this earth or the length of sufferings that we have to endure. But we can be certain that our sufferings does not last forever. You know, weeping may last through the night, but joy comes in the morning. So pray to God, you know, to do it again for you as he did in the past. Pray to him to give you a glimpse, a foretaste even of your suffering now. He invites, he welcomes you to pray to him while you suffer. But at the same time, you know, he also welcomes you to continue to trust him while you wait presently in your suffering. Trust him too when struggles and weeping remain in this world because we will reap joy in the world to come. You know, I love this passage from John 16. You know, as the assurance of a parting grace. I love this passage. And I'll end with this. You know, Jesus said, So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice. And no one no one will take your joy from you. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? No one will take the joy from you. Let's pray.
Lord, as we, as we look at Psalm 126, Lord, we are reminded of all the pains and sorrows that we endure in the past, and the pain and sorrows that we still endure presently in our lives. You know, the ongoing pains and sufferings. And even at a cry of desperation, a cry to you, Lord, how long, Lord, how long are we to endure, are we to suffer? And sometimes we, we wait and wait, we pray and we wait and we pray and we wait. It almost seems like, like Lord, will you ever answer us? Will you ever respond to us? Will you ever do your work again in our lives? Will you ever deliver us, Lord? Will you ever, Lord? And then when we look at Psalm 126, the answer is yes, you will. Yes, you will do it again. And so I pray that as we as we meditate on, on this passage even in our own times, as we read this passage again, or as we spend time, Lord, in, in our daily lives with you each day as we meditate you know, on your word, that, Lord, you would take us a journey back to our past, our, our difficult past, but yet at the same time our hopeful past because of what you have done for us in the past. Even in our sorrows in the past, Lord, you have turn our sorrows into joy, into laughter. And yet when we marvel at it, Lord, when we consider our present circumstances, we can know and assure, Lord, that, that we are not forgotten, that one day you will return, Lord, to wipe away all our tears, that you will do it again, that you will turn our sorrows into joy, into laughter, into gladness, and it will last forever. No one, nothing can ever take that joy again from us. And so we thank you for this, Lord. We pray and are reminded of this and are encouraged. We pray each day that this will be a reminder for us. You know, it will be your word to us to trust, to marvel and to trust at the goodness of God. I pray all these things in your son's name. Amen.